It's 6 p.m. and you're tuned to your community radio station, KVMR-FM, Nevada City, KCPC Camino. Today is Wednesday, July 12th, and this is the KVMR Evening News. I'm Julia Jem. The cost of insurance is a standard fee associated with hosting any large event, but its price has risen, creating challenges for the organizers of events like Pride Parades, where the risk of a hate-related crime taking place is relatively high. The California Report has the story. Then, after a look at local news and weather, KVMR News Director Claudio Mendoza speaks with Donald Eckert, the Executive Director of Pioneer Community Energy, about the agency's upcoming arrival in western Nevada County. We close with a commentary from Nevada County resident Shirley Frerichs. This is the California Report. I'm Saul Gonzalez in Los Angeles. Dozens of workers and supporters picketed a car wash yesterday in Los Angeles County, a car wash that state regulators say paid employees well below minimum wage. KQED's labor correspondent Farida Javala Romero explains. This is the second protest outside the Shine and Bright car wash in Inglewood since last November. That's when state regulators cited the business more than $900,000, most of it for unpaid minimum wage, overtime, and breaks. Vidal Vasquez says he was paid only $7 an hour for years, not enough to afford food and rent. He says the goal of the protest is to publicly pressure his former boss to follow California's rules and pay him and other workers what they're owed. Shine and Bright's owner has appealed the citation, and the case awaits a hearing. Statewide, many employers don't pay back anything as they fight their citations or just ignore them. In the last five years, the Labor Commissioner's Bureau of Field Enforcement cited thousands of businesses more than $440 million total, but has recovered only about 15 percent of that amount, according to agency data obtained by KQED. For the California Report, I'm Farida Javala Romero. Support for the California Report comes from Hint. Fruit-infused water with no sugar or diet sweeteners with more than 25 flavors, including watermelon and pineapple. In stores or delivered from HintWater.com. Stanford Medicine, comprising its School of Medicine and Adult and Children's Health Systems, working together to advance knowledge and improve lives. StanfordMedicine.org. And Eric and Wendy Schmidt through the Schmidt Family Foundation, working together to create a just world where all people have access to renewable energy, clean air and water, and healthy food, on the web at theschmidt.org. LGBTQ pride events have been taking place across the country amid growing threats of violence towards the community. Those threats are also impacting pride organizations' finances. One example, skyrocketing insurance costs. In San Diego, KPBS reporter Scott Rod has more. San Diego Pride Week kicked off with SheFest on Saturday. It's a celebration of LGBTQ women and people who are non-binary and gender non-conforming. Live bands strutted the stage. 
food trucks served up vegan and Indian fusion dishes, and hundreds of people checked out booths set up by vendors and community groups. The vibe of SheFest is very much connecting with people. Kathy Molig is executive director of Trans Family Support Services. There's an entertainment factor, there's a community building factor, and there's an educational factor. Hundreds of thousands of people are expected to attend the week-long Pride celebration in San Diego. But behind the scenes, the good vibes are tempered by a growing concern. Fernando Lopez is executive director of San Diego Pride. What we're seeing right here, not just in San Diego, but all over the country, is a rise in anti-LGBT sentiment. Here are just a few examples. Hate crimes based on sexual orientation in California increased nearly 30 percent last year, according to the State Department of Justice. Incidents against trans and gender nonconforming people jumped by more than 50 percent. Far-right groups have organized in-person confrontations at drag events across the country. And just last month, police arrested a man for an alleged bomb threat against Nashville's Pride event. All of this has gotten the attention of insurance providers. I'm hearing from prides from L.A., San Francisco, New York, and a ton of these smaller prides all over the country that the rise in insurance fees is untenable. Insurance is required for pretty much any large event. It helps cover liabilities, like if someone sues after tripping over a curb or if there's a mass shooting. San Diego Pride typically purchases an extra layer of insurance to cover any major incidents. Last year, the coverage cost them about $10,000. But this year, according to Lopez, it would have cost $300,000. You can't budget for that. How could I budget for that year over year? Pride events are being scrutinized in really unprecedented ways. Bruce Smiley Califf is vice president and senior underwriter at Califf Insurance. The company specializes in coverage for large outdoor events, including dozens of pride festivals nationwide. He says insurance costs are going up for all concerts and festivals for several reasons. Attendees are more likely to file lawsuits over minor incidents. Insurance markets are also overburdened in general due to a rise in costly claims tied to things like hurricanes and wildfires. And there's the growing threat of mass casualty events, like a shooting. That's a particular concern when it comes to pride festivals. Carriers are terrified by very, very large events, especially ones that could be deemed a little bit more risky when it comes to acts of violence or perceived violence or threats. These ballooning insurance costs are creating tough business decisions for LGBTQ organizations. San Diego Pride went with a more basic insurance plan this year because spending hundreds of thousands of dollars on extra insurance would have meant pulling funding from other essential programs. But that means they may be on the hook financially if a major incident happens. Sacramento's Pride Festival had to raise its ticket prices for the first time in three decades, in part because its event insurance more than doubled in recent years. We got to a place where we couldn't just supplement all the additional costs with more sponsorship or more beverage sales. We had to raise the ticket prices. David Heitzeman is CEO of the Sacramento LGBT Community Center, which organizes Sacramento Pride. He says safety and security is their top concern. But he fears increased entry fees could make the Pride Festival less accessible at a time when the LGBTQ community needs it most. For the California Report, I'm Scott Rod in San Diego.
And finally, architectural and transportation historians will tell you that the world's first motel, or motor hotel, opened in San Luis Obispo in 1925. It was a place where weary drivers motoring between San Francisco and L.A. on Highway 101 could get some sleep. For years, though, the property has sat abandoned and neglected. San Luis Obispo's Planning Commission will consider a proposal to build a new motel on the property with 27 cottage-style guest rooms. So, a site that provided rest and comfort to California travelers in the 20th century might do it again in the 21st. And that is the California Report for Wednesday, July 12th. We are a production of KQED Public Radio. I'm your host, Saul Gonzalez. Thanks for listening, and let's talk tomorrow. In regional news, UBANET reports that the Grass Valley Family Resource Center, or FRC, which is located beside Grass Valley Charter School, has officially closed its doors after 14 years of service. The Grass Valley School District will be absorbing the building into its organization for program repurposing. If you're not familiar, the FRC has offered a wide variety of services and different kinds of support for local families, including playgroups for preschool children, parenting workshops, a clothes closet, a partnership with the Nevada County Diaper Project, referrals to local community agencies for behavioral and mental health support, translation services for families, tutoring services for students, and more. But while this physical location will no longer be available to the center, its services won't be going away. Full services will continue to be provided at the other two FRC locations in Penn Valley on the Ready Springs campus and San Juan Ridge on the Oak Tree campus. West Nile virus activity is increasing intensely in several parts of both Sacramento and Yolo counties. Local mosquito control officials announced today that California's capital region has recorded dozens of new virus cases in mosquitoes and dead birds within the past two weeks. The district reported that 69 mosquitoes and 43 dead birds have tested positive in Sacramento County this year to date, And to refresh your memory, those totals are up from 34 and 18 in the previous July 3rd update. In Yolo County, the tallies have jumped to 33 mosquitoes and two dead birds, which is up from six mosquitoes and one bird on July 3rd. Gary Goodman, manager of the Sacramento Yolo Mosquito and Vector Control District, said, quote, We are closely monitoring all these areas and evaluating the best plan of action. We need to do everything we can to ensure residents are protected. State and local mosquito control officials say that there are a few things you can do to prevent virus growth. Here are just a few. You can drain standing water to limit mosquito breeding, wear insect repellent, secure doors and window screens in good working condition, avoid being outdoors at dawn and dusk if possible, and wear long sleeves and pants when outside, which, of course, can be tough to do given the heat. And speaking of the heat, Officials say that extreme heat can also cause surges in West Nile activity by speeding up the hatching of mosquitoes. We know that the Sacramento region is forecast to reach triple digits Friday through Monday, so we can expect virus activity to continue increasing statewide. Last year, California detected 216 human cases, including 15 fatalities. Thankfully, no human cases have yet been reported by state health officials in 2023 as of today. That's all according to the Sacramento Bee. And a quick note before we move to the regional weather forecast, the Placer Resource Conservation District, in collaboration with the University of California Cooperative Extension, is supporting a prescribed burn in Grass Valley, tentatively scheduled for tomorrow, Thursday, July 13th.
The project is about a half acre and will target barb goat grass, which is an invasive grass. Prescribed fire is one of the only tools available to control invasive barb goat grass, which must be targeted in late spring or early summer when conditions are hot and dry. Smoke may be visible in the morning along Highway 49 between Alta Sierra and Labar Meadows. Residents can reach out to the Placer RCD Prescribed Fire Program Manager, Cordy Craig, at Cordy at PlacerRCD.org. Turning now to a look at the regional weather forecast from the National Weather Service. In Grass Valley and Nevada City, tonight, clear with a low around 62. Thursday, sunny with a high near 91. Thursday night, clear with a low around 64. For Truckee and Lake Tahoe, tonight, clear with a low around 44. Thursday, sunny with a high near 81. Thursday night, clear with a low around 49. And for Sacramento and the surrounding valley, tonight, clear with a low around 61. Thursday, sunny and hot with a high near 98. Thursday night, clear with a low around 62. And a reminder, the National Weather Service is reporting elevated fire weather conditions in addition to an excessive heat watch warning for the valley and foothills over the weekend, particularly from Friday to Sunday. Hot conditions could pose a high risk of heat stress or illness to people or animals, and with these higher temperatures, mountain snowmelt will continue to cause area waterways to run fast and cold. If you choose to engage in any water recreation activities, be sure to practice cold water safety. You're listening to the Evening News on KVMR. A locally governed, not-for-profit public agency called Pioneer Community Energy is coming to Western Nevada County in 2024. KVMR News Director Claudio Mendoza spoke with Donald Eckert, the agency's executive director, to learn more about what exactly it is, how it currently operates, and how it will function when it comes to our area. Tonight in Grass Valley, Pioneer Community Energy, a locally governed, not-for-profit public agency, hosted the first of two town hall meetings to introduce itself to residents of Western Nevada County. Pioneer Community Energy is a CCA, a community choice aggregator. Here's Don Eckert, Executive Director of Pioneer Community Energy, explaining what that is. Community choice aggregation. So this was formed out of the energy crisis back in the late 1990s and early 2000s. And uh, California wanted to deregulate the electric industry, but it didn't go very well. It was uh, extraordinary prices, uh, blackouts. It was just uh, a really bad rollout for uh, introduction to competition. And so uh, once that settled down, wanted to still do competition, but realized that that rollout was not the right way to do it. And so the uh, AB 117, Assembly Bill 117 was signed, and that was to allow communities to provide and purchase electricity uh, for their constituents, their their taxpayers, and um, basically replace the incumbent investor-owned utility. And so that was signed in 2002, and then the first CCA uh, was actually launched in 2010 out of uh, Marin, and then 
things were quiet for about five years. And then there was just a, a few more launched in 2015. And there was just an explosion of, of CCAs from 2017 on. So right now we have about 200 communities in the state that are being served by uh, one of the 25 CCAs that have formed in the last 13 years. And really the definition of community choice aggregation is community, meaning that it's uh, um, almost all the CCAs I know of, they're, uh, they're called Joint Powers of Exercise Agreements or JPAs. And their board comprises of the elected officials from the communities they serve. Uh, so that's the community meaning of it. Choice is, of course, that you choose between PG&E, San Diego Gas and Electric, or SoCal Edison versus the CCA. And then aggregation, this means that we uh, serve the community in whole. Uh, we don't um, cherry pick, if you will what we would consider high load or high margin customers. Uh, we take all the customers from that community that want to be part of us. And if they choose not to be, that's uh, completely their choice. But we buy in aggregate. Formed in 2017 to serve Placer County, the public agency is coming to Nevada County in 2024. Don says that one of the big benefits of a CCA is in some cases a lower rate. Why can we do that? Well, we don't have a lot of the overhead. 92% of, for instance, Pioneer's operating budget is power supply. So we don't have um, 100 years of legacy costs uh, built into the rates. So we can compete. We're out there uh, competing for the best price and best fit power procurement. He also says that another benefit is that the public agency is local. So when they're calling us, they're calling us here in, in the community that we serve. So uh, our headquarters is in Rockland, and um, we we know the questions that the community is getting because uh, we live here and experience the same type questions. If you want to learn more about community choice aggregation or Pioneer Community Energy, the locally owned and governed electricity provider that's coming to Nevada County in 2024, you can attend the next town hall meeting on July 18th from 6 to 7 p.m. in the Nevada City City Council Chambers, or you can head over to pioneercommunityenergy.org. For KVMR, I'm Claudio Mendoza. An upcoming gathering at the Madeline Helling Library will welcome conversation about waste distribution practices. Up next, you'll hear a commentary in which Nevada County resident Shirley Frerichs discusses recycling, as well as the different approaches that local citizens and businesses can take to cut down on plastic use and waste. Recycling can be confusing. What's really recyclable? The container says it's compostable, but is it really? Where does the material we put in the blue bin go? What happens to it? All good questions will be answered at a community conversation in the evening of July 17 at Helling Library. For openers, the waste hauling industry is in the state of flux itself because China said no more to taking our contaminated trash, mostly plastics, which could not be reprocessed in the United States. Our country produces a lot of trash every year, 268 million tons of waste, 140 million going to the landfills. And the average American tosses 4.5 pounds of trash per day. We the people need to reduce our consumption and thereby our trash. So where does that recycled material go? 
Sadly, most of it goes to landfills where it releases toxic emissions that affect air quality and our health. It could go to be reprocessed if there were facilities for waste management to sell to, but our state does not yet have those reprocessing facilities it needs to transform to a usable material. And they are working on it. In the meantime, it's really up to you and me, the consumers, to take care that the items we put in the bin are relatively clean and dry. Furthermore, we can be part of this solution when we buy less, refuse plastic to find alternatives, reuse more, and refill our jugs so there's no use to buy yet another plastic one. Please carry a reusable water bottle. Plastic water bottles are the single biggest item in our plastic trash. Just say no. Lots is happening on the local and state scenes to make recycling work better, especially with single-use plastic waste. Many major stores and restaurants across the nation are starting to limit the amount of plastic packaging they use and switch to more recyclable containers and other non-traditional plastic alternatives. Briar Patch is a good example of leading the way here locally. There's a single-use disposables foodware ordinance in the works that will require our eateries to switch to recyclable compostable containers. We, the customers, can make our voices heard to ask eateries to make that switch because it matters. This is a positive transition time for the whole subject of trash and plastic with many new bills passed by our state legislature in the last year. The most significant is SB 54, a landmark new packaging law that requires by 2032 that 100% of all packaging in the state is to be certifiably recyclable or compostable. Responsibility is being pushed back to the producers to come up with non-toxic materials. In the meantime, they pay the fees to help cover the cost of recycling. Single-use plastic is the real culprit here. Think chip bags and takeout containers that are open and immediately trashed. It takes time to make these major shifts in our habits and the way companies do business. Starts with us, the consumers, to just say no. There will be a community conversation on this topic Monday, July 17 at the Helling Library from 7 to 8.30. Presenters from Waste Not, Nevada County, and Waste Management will demystify the recycling process and how waste is handled from the roadside bin to landfill and what happens in the diversions from there to compost and reprocessing. Shivachi Karkipural and Lori Reddy of Waste Management will answer your burning questions in the last half hour Join this conversation to share what we all can do to not use plastic. We all have good ideas. See you there. The views and opinions expressed in the preceding commentary are those of the speaker and not necessarily those of KVMR, its board, staff, volunteers, or underwriters. Want to make your voice heard? Go to kvmr.org and click on Commentary Guidelines under the News tab for more information. That's our newscast for this Wednesday, July 12th. Head over to our website, kvmr.org, or subscribe to the KVMR News Podcast to hear more. KVMR gets support from listeners like you and the Nevada City Farmers Market, Saturdays, 8.30 a.m. to 1 p.m., Robinson Plaza and Union Street now through mid-December, featuring sustainably grown food from local farmers, crafts, artisanal offerings, also live music and EBT accepted ncfarmersmarket.org. Support for KVMR's Future of Radio project comes from AJA Video Systems, empowering the next generation of local journalists and broadcasters. 
The KVMR Evening News is produced by KVMR News Director Claudio Mendoza. KVMR will be broadcasting WorldFest beginning tomorrow at 5 o'clock p.m. and through the weekend. Join us on Monday for our next newscast at 6 o'clock p.m. Thanks for tuning in. I'm Julia Jem. I hope you have an excellent night.